Welcome to P3 Radio. The monkey only dances as good as the guy grinding the organ handle. Brada, brada, brada. I fly, bro. That is never stopping. Truck goes to the white. <laughs> cool story, bro. Footy pajamas. Hey, genius. It's three. It's two p.m. Central. PG3 Radio. Nope. Here's your host, Josh Friday. Give him a pig, Freddy. Give him a pig. Richard And as I put you down, my pants ripped. <laughs> it's showtime! It's showtime! It's showtime! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of P3 Radio. I'm Richard Mulliken, joined by my co-host, the man that's doot, 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 dootin'. Out my back door. <laughs> He's the 1983 Mr. Dixie Youth Grand Champion and best friend Josh Barley. Say hey, Josh. Tambourines and elephants are playing in the band. What is up, Richard Lee? What does that mean? Doot, I have doot, no doot, idea. Doot, doot, out my back door. I mean, I've, I've heard rumors of what it means, but uh, I'm not going to say. Ah, is it the same thing as tutti frutti? Eh, you know, <laughs> I guess it depends on what's in your heart. Yeah. I just I think it can be whatever you want it to be. It's whatever your heart desires. Whatever you want it like to be. Like well, Hollow Note said. We are back for episode two forty nine, Josh. Uh got a big week this week. We pre recorded this. So if you're listening to this As anybody would know, yeah. just listening to well, it. Here's the thing. All of our episodes are pre recorded. <laughs> just depends on how far back you the pre mean goes. This ain't live. No, this I ain't wish, live. I really wish we could do a live show sometimes. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. The we haven't you... edited in a while. So. <laughs> Whatever. We edited stuff last week. Not You're last like, week. Ah, I shouldn't have said that. No, that was like a month ago, dude. <laughs> but still, we that was it like the first together. time in forever. Yeah. It's not the first time in forever that we've made any kind of edits. Yeah. So. You're trying to save your job. <laughs> Swear to God, I didn't say that. Swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. We, uh, we are recording this because this weekend... Uh, we're going to let this out on Friday, but Saturday, a uh, big Hub City MMA event happening at Hub City Brewery here in Jackson, Tennessee. Yours truly will be doing his bre- his breast best buffer, <laughs> his best Bruce buffer impersonation. <laughs> Wouldn't uh, that be something if you were the breast buffer <laughs> at the front door? Uh, let me just I'll take that job. Don't worry, Richard. I got you back. Let me get around that areola there, honey. <laughs> Ryan's like, I didn't I wasn't aware we needed a breast buffer at the front door. Now I got it, big dog. It's fine. Yeah, somebody that was doing that would definitely be called calling people big dog. Oh yeah. And champ. I got it, champ. Man, you got a lovely wife. I never got into the people like getting called boss. Like, sure thing, boss, I got you. You know, or somebody, you know, you have you ever heard people say that? Dude, people say that to me at work sometimes. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Are you the boss? I am not the boss. Okay, but it does. It almost sounds like if they said it in just a slight now, fraction of a different tone, <laughs> they'd be being sarcastic and an asshole to you. Sure thing, boss. No, they don't. They don't do it like that. I mean, I can I can go to the boss. And I can tell them some shit to do. You know, like. Well, no, I'm I, I am I am the extension mm-hmm. of <laughs> your boss's dick. No. <laughs> you know, but I'm in what is on the tip of it. I'm just joking. No. My, I've got a special position. <laughs> None of this is so. Dude, dude, dude. No, dude. seriously. Now my like, back door. I'm the only one that does my job. Uh huh. And I don't really have anybody telling me anything to do. Right. 
but I do stuff for the higher up people. Hmm. It's different. Yeah. But it's just freedom, right? It won't let you down. It will not. You've got to stand for something. I was going George Michael. Oh. It won't let you down. That's like freedom. the direct opposite. <laughs> freedom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't listen. What you take. I didn't listen that stiff when I was growing yeah, up. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you did. I like Limp Biscuit's version of uh, his shit. Uh, Faith. Yeah, it was terrible. If you listen back to it now, it's not good at all. <laughs> it's like, uh, I liked it. We were in our teens, though. I we love it. Man, I'm gonna be honest with you, man. Sometimes I still listen to Limp Biscuit. I'm telling you what, John Holmes couldn't get a hard on in this room right now. It is freaking cold. That is just they binging in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, our studio or our guest room that is slightly off I'll tell off-centered. you, no squirrels getting a nut in here. Mine are shriveled up. <laughs> yeah. It's like I've been using uh, steroids for the past 20 years. My nuts are so shriveled. It's just smooth. Yeah. You got a little trunk hanging. Like a Ken doll down there. Yeah. Got a little trunk hanging over. <laughs> Look like Gonzo. Gonzo with his mouth shut. Oh, dude, we had the air unit worked on up here, and today it was kind of like okay, but we've had it set for sixty eight up here just so it can keep up. And I got up. Listen, here you can't hide money. Listen, to that shit sixty eight is what my house is set on. Yeah, shit, it's tough times, Richard Lee. We just don't like being yeah, put hot. Put that shit on seventy five. You know, we spend money on being comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> you spend money on everything. Yeah, pretty much. You have to. <laughs> Takes money to have stuff, right? I guess. Stocks and bonds, new cars, all kinds of we, shit. We uh, we turned the air down up here, and I get up here, and I was like, "Man, it's kind of cold," because it was it was nice out today. I said, like, "Man, it's kind of cold up here." And then I went and looked, and the air was set on sixty six. I was like, oh, "Let me crank it up to sixty eight. So I cranked it up sixty eight. We were sitting here talking, getting things ready for our interview that's going to come up here in a few minutes. But we were like, "Man, it's it's getting kind of getting kind of cold in here. Like it kept getting colder and colder and colder." And I. We finally took a You break. thought a demon was present. I didn't know. I didn't know what was happening. I felt like maybe Patrick Swayze was helping me make a clay pot. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, why is it so fucking cold? This clay's setting up. Patrick, is that you? I think Patrick's in here. Patrick. <laughs> I no. knew I felt hungry eyes. <laughs> Nobody does pottery in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah man it was like freezing and i was like i went over there and looked and the thermostat is in like the worst place for dads ever it's in my daughter's room <laughs> for upstairs i'd have it like it uh, you know what that would be like a work thermostat that motherfucker would have a plastic box around it <laughs> and a key then only i got it <laughs> nobody's touching we it. gonna set it on 78 and y'all just gonna have to deal with it <laughs> I ain't get my ass chewed out again. <laughs> but no, man, like she had set it down on 65. It was cold and it was colder in here than it is outside. And it's nice outside today. Yeah, it is. Like it's it's actually a little chilly at times when the wind's blowing. So uh, that great blackberry winter, huh? <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> blackberry, I don't know. I've just heard it all my life. Blackberry winter. Something Mamma used to say. I tell you what, Richard Lee, the snow was on top of the trees for three months. That means it's going to be a blackberry winter. And the moon doth shine. It's <laughs> like, what? What? What are what you talking mean? about? If that snow hangs around for three days, it's waiting on like another. A, is, that, is that like a scientific increment of what? measurement? 
What? Or or it's gonna be a blackberry like it's something that's recordable. Like that's a blackberry just, winter. I think so, it's just when the blackberries bloom, there's supposed to be another cold snap. So they call it blackberry winter. I thought flowers bloomed. Well, we've already had like buttercups pop up and they're dead now. Buttercups are really like the get it over with quickly spring flower, you know? I'm pretty, I'm done. You, yeah. <laughs> you plant them. You plant them for like a few days and they're there like for like ever. Like th- there was somebody that apparently p- planted buttercups out here at some point in our life and they put it like in between where our fence is now. And every year there's buttercups popping up inside of our fence, outside of our fence. Like, I don't know. <laughs> right when they on pl- the property line. <laughs> yeah. I don't know when they planted these things. Probably back in the fifties when some asshole neighbors lived next door to you. Well, there was a house in between us and our neighbor and it apparently burnt down at some point. Probably them because that'd be super close. Yeah, it's like one of y'all two burnt, or, you know, in the past. Yeah, burn it down. Like I don't like that shit being so close to my house. <laughs> I do like the buttercups though. <laughs> <laughs> we'll paint them in their memory. But buttercups just they they don't go away. Or paint them, plant them, paint them. <laughs> we we'll, paint. We'll paint them. <laughs> They're shoving like house paint on buttercups. <laughs> why are they dying and wilting so fast? <laughs> That's why they die, Richard Lee. You got your answer. Yeah, you paint them. But yeah, I mean. Two weeks, they're here and they're gone. Like little thing, I, maybe it's the damn birds. It might be because of the, the weather. Squirrels, because it's like eighty-five one day, yeah. and then it's thirty-two the next night. They're the ones. They're, they're the ultimate plant cuck. They're like, hey, the sun's out. Let me come on out. Oh, it's cold. It's cold. Ooh, <laughs> I'm nothing. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm gonna look at I'm some just tulips. a little bitch plant. I'm gonna look at some tulips till they weed eat me down. <laughs> They whack my weed. Oh, uh, but so good times. But yeah, busy week this week. So we're recording early. I'm glad we worked cooking into the intro. <laughs> awesome. Our guest is gonna be like, "How did I get involved in this?" I just want everybody to know. <laughs> I do not endorse the intro. Right. As <laughs> we don't al- either. Sir. As an alderman, <laughs> I cannot be a part of this. <laughs> he just hangs up within five seconds. How did he Click. hear us? How did he hear about us? Or he calls us in a week. Take that part down. <laughs> uh, well, we are interviewing the one and only downtown Bruno today. Yeah, and I'm super excited. Just just because, I mean, he's one of them guys, man. It's like he he touches on those childhood points. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I think you need to say that a different way, my friend. What I mean... I, <laughs> No, I'm serious. Like, whenever I think back. He hits a bit of nostalgia for you as a child. Not he touches on those childhood points. (laughs) Could you see where that might be taken wrong? I guess. You know what I mean, He's call back next week. Which one of you are calling me a better ass? (laughs) No, we are not. He touches on those childhood points. Josh just isn't a wordsmith, Mr. Bruno. (laughs) Goddamn, Bruno. You know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. He he, he was he, the first he 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 like is manager like, yes. after Jimmy Hart in Memphis. Yeah, I mean that was the one that just made you want to kill him. And let's be honest. Did you really see a lot of Jimmy Hart? I mean, he was already kind of on the way out when we were younger. Well, when I begin remembering, like I always knew who Jimmy Hart was, and that that's yeah. probably because, you know, I, I could imagine I was, you know able to pay attention to something i was yeah. sat in front of the tv and i watched memphis wrestling but it was like even if i don't have too many jimmy hart in memphis memories mm-hmm. it's like 
my granny, my mom, everybody yeah, yeah. around you, you know, just like uh, reading shit or whatever. It's everybody. That's Jimmy Hart. He's from Memphis. That's that's how, you know, it was. So, and like I said, he was the first one after. Yep. Like, to me, that I, I kind of gravitated towards in terms of, like, I won't. I mean, even like a kid, you know, five, six years old, I think I could kick his ass. Yeah, I mean, it, honestly, I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy Hart was kind of a taller guy. I mean, you don't, I mean, it, it doesn't really show like when he was on video. If you ever meet him in person, he's kind of a taller guy. And you're like, okay, I could see where some intimidation would come here if, you know, the right person. But like, yeah, Bruno was a smaller guy. You know what I mean? And he always had that like. He always talked like he was a big bad person. You know what I mean, right? And 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 it was like if I, you just had that thought. If I ever get the chance, I would kick him right in the nuts. You know what I mean? He had that <laughs> right. vibe to him. He was perfect for what Memphis needed at the time. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I remember him more than I do about Jimmy because Jimmy Hart for me when I was watching when I was a kid was WWE guy. Like, I knew he was in Memphis at one time because Jerry Lawler would bring up, you know, you're just like that Jimmy Hart fella that used to be down here. He'd say stuff like that. But for me, when I was growing up and started watching wrestling and everything, Bruno was the the heel manager, you know, and he managed, God, he managed everybody. everybody. But what I meant by touching on those childhood points. <laughs> no, <laughs> bringing up a feeling of nostalgia for Josh. A what belt I meant is by what them holds child- up your pants, Josh. What them childhood points. So I remember certain things like from a certain age when I was a kid yeah. with my family and stuff. And one of the sayings that I, one of the first things that I remember about my dad, besides like my first fishing trip with him and stuff like that, was literally him quoting downtown Bruno. It's just like mama says, it bees that way sometimes. <laughs> like, dude. My dad would fuck with me saying that whenever I would ask him why. Because, you know, you're a kid. Yeah. But why? Why can't I do this? Or You know, and he would say that downtown Bruno shit. Now, I know Bruno got it from Iceman, King Parsons, or whatever. But, like, I didn't know about that until after. Yeah. Like, Bruno saying I know it, more of that from Bruno than anybody. I didn't know he got that from anybody. Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, it's something about, you know, but just on Memphis, TV, on Memphis TV in the 80s, that's what I got. Bruno saying that. That was his catchphrase. And, my God, did that piss me off when my dad would say it. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, dude. So, I yeah. hate you. I hate Bruno. I hate bedtimes. Brushing my teeth is bullshit. I don't like that either. <laughs> like you but it's just like Mama says. <laughs> it bees that way sometimes. Mama wasn't that good at English, was she? <laughs> She's just one of them, because that's what I said, mamas. She's like, no, we ran a beehive. <laughs> it bees that way. <laughs> Anyways, well, we're going to have him up here in just a second. But, Josh, first, we got to – I didn't mean to hit that button. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Josh, first, we got to – We hadn't edited it in three weeks. <laughs> Josh, we got to tell them about all the deals over at tinyurl.com slash P3 Radio Tees. It's the home of P3 Radio merchandise. And if they go there right now, Josh – to tinyurl.com slash p3 radio tees what are they gonna find well i think they're gonna find a shitload of shirts my man we got that 80s tee that ecw like t-shirt the ray j soda can t-shirt Dwayne's still gonna get that truck freddy's front yard slaughterhouse so many more tinyurl.com that's your 
tinyurl.com slash p3radio. Tease, my friend. That's your t-shirt haven for uh, P3 Radio, baby. You're going to get all the t-shirts from this podcast. And uh, go there and buy every single one of them. tinyurl.com slash p3radio. Tease. That's tinyurl.com slash p3radio. T-E-E-S. The home of P3 Radio merchandise. Go and help us out by visiting our sponsors. Picking up a shirt for yourself. We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. Well, ladies and gentlemen, right now joining us on the P3 Radio Hotline, we have a legend in the world of professional wrestling. He has worked with countless stars, Hall of Famers, and is known by just about every wrestling fan from the Memphis Territory to around the world with WWE. He has seen every venue from the Mid-South Coliseum to the Madison Square Garden and everywhere in between. It is our honor to have the one and only downtown Bruno. Mr. Bruno, welcome to P3 Radio. Hey, it's my honor and privilege to be here. I'm uh, excited to be on the show, and I'm looking forward to uh, having a nice uh, conversation with y'all for all the great fans. Yeah, and we we grew up watching you. We were just talking about how you were the you were the manager in Memphis when we were younger. Like you were the one that. Uh, and you got a lot of heat with everybody. Even us as kids, we were like, "I bet we could take him." You know, <laughs> it was just like, but he, but you, you, you talked like such a big guy and like a tough guy that we we're like, "Oh, come on!" So like. When we were kids, and like I said, you'll take this hopefully as a compliment, like probably one of the most hated people in our lives, right, Josh? Definitely. I mean, filling the shoes of Jimmy Hart coming from Memphis, that's that's a big deal. And I'm going to tell you, man, you definitely filled them and even more for me. I absolutely hated you when I was a kid. <laughs> and that's a, that's a tremendous compliment because my job was to make y'all hate me. So <laughs> if you were saying, oh, we thought you were funny, we love, well, that wouldn't have been much of a compliment because the business was different. Back then, as y'all know, now it's geared more towards entertainment for the, I'm not going to say for the most part, but in some regards. But back then, it wasn't labeled entertainment. Well, not for anything you pay to see or watch on TV or go to, it's to entertain you in one way or the other. But in our way, it was different because, by God, we believed it everything ourselves. And if we believed it, by God, y'all would. And that's the way it was. We lived our, our, uh, persona and i loved every minute of it well you know if we look at wikipedia and we look at the dates and when when it says you got started because you know everybody can put anything they want in wikipedia but when it says you got started and your age you must have been really young when you got in the business how old were you and how how did you get into the world of professional wrestling because it was kind of a tight-knit business back then i started at the age of 14 years old in 1979 and i started out putting up the ring period in the story and just one thing led to another i worked for Guido tatry who had a wrestling organization and he's the one that kind of had been putting up the ring and everything and then we took our ring or his ring to a promotion in kentucky uh ran by a guy named dale mann mcw mid-continental wrestling uh Dale was, I, I liked him. Dale was a great guy. He helped me a lot. And Dale, I worked for Dale Mann, and that's, uh, I first tried managing. Of course, I was green as grass on the ground. I didn't know what I was doing, right. but it was a start, and it was a foot in the door. And then I ended up going to put, putting the ring up and working on the crew for 
the NWA in Kansas City for Bob Geigel, you know, back when the NWA was the governing body of oh, yeah. professional wrestling. And that's when I met Rocky Johnson. And that's that's where my life took to. That right there, Rocky Johnson was the first one that really set my life in motion. He said, man, we need to bring you to Hawaii and let you manage over there, man. You'll get over like a million dollars. And he brought me to Hawaii. That's where it all pretty much began. That was like in 83. And, uh, hell, watch Young Rock every week. You'll see how that uh, <laughs> came along. It, that, that was the turning point in my life. Yeah. Now, you said you lived in Hawaii there, I guess. Um, I've heard two different stories about Hawaii, like about how it's either the most beautiful place and you love it, or it's like getting beat over the head with paradise every day. Uh, wh- wh- how'd you feel about Hawaii? Did you like living there for the time you were there? Well, for the nine months I was there, it was okay, but it was like, trust me, I wouldn't have to, I, I think I only went to the beach once. <laughs> I was working. I worked, right. I worked in the office for the My Beers, and I, I did answer the phone all day. I did errands. I put out window cards, you know, posters for the events. Obviously, in 1983, there was no social media or nothing. So you put, you advertise your events by putting out posters all over town. And, and you know, I put up the ring and I would manage. And, you know, it was, I mean, it was, the weather was nice. The area was nice. Uh, I didn't make a lot of money, but I got a whole lot of experience. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a turning point in my life. So uh, I don't have much bad to say about it. I mean, I didn't get along with Leah Maivia, but as you watch on Young Rock, nobody did. So uh, <laughs> and that's a true story. Right. And uh, Dwayne's mother, Atta, is one of the most wonderful people I've ever met in my entire life. And she understood that her mother was kind of hard to do business with for, for a howley. And a Howley is somebody that's not Polynesian, which was me. So, you know, it was uh, wasn't the easiest thing in the world to deal with her. But in general, it was a very positive experience. Yeah, I, I remember seeing a video of The Rock's mom and The Rock on Jimmy Fallon's show. And, she, I mean, she had Jimmy Fallon cracking up. She's just charming and she just seems like one of the sweetest people in the world. Wonderful person. She's Well, you know, my mother... God bless her. She's up with Jesus now. So, Otta, um, Dwayne's mother, is, and she calls me son, and I call her mom. That's how close we are. That's awesome. Yeah, you could really tell how how nice she is from that interview. Now, I'm guessing, you know, being in Hawaii and being around the um, that scene and being around the NWA is that what got you into Memphis? That this whole story. That's how that changed my life. I always wanted to be in the Memphis territory. Because, you know, back then, it was even WWE was a territory. F at the time right. was a territory. The biggest one, the most lucrative one, don't get me wrong, but it was still at that point just the New York territory. You know, it wasn't worldwide yet or even nationwide at that point. It was just getting started. Um, and my territory was Memphis. That's where I wanted to be. That was the big time for me. I wanted to be in Memphis, obviously being a Memphis guy. But you don't start off in the major leagues. You don't start off at home. Well, Lawler came to Hawaii to work, and he watched me manage some other guys, and he liked my work. And he uh, asked uh, Rocky if I could manage him one night against a guy. And Rocky said, yeah, sure. And I managed Lawler, and he really liked 
how it went, which it really did go fantastic. And that's when Lawler brought me to Memphis. He realized I was ready. So that, believe me, being Hawaii, being in Hawaii for PP, uh, CW Polynesian Pacific Championship Wrestling, it changed the trajectory of my life. To to use a word that uh, Rock uses, and it's the truth. <laughs> well, um, so. Who was the first person, say, like, whenever you come into the Memphis Territory, like, who are you uh, paired with? You know, like, you're going to manage this guy. Who is it that you're paired with, and uh, do you have any, like, long-term plans? Well, Tony Falk, Phil Hickerson, uh, Big Bubba and Goliath, the Moondogs. The first one was Tony Falk, which was great. Right, and, right. Is that when he was doing the boy Tony stuff? Correct. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I remember that, dude. Like that was that was hate back in the day. Like, Especially oh my in god, the South. Yes, that Buddy, was. You're right. And here's the thing: with this new age today, we couldn't get away with that. You know, I mean, it's a shame. Absolutely not. <laughs> but back in those days, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, I, I loved it. Um, now, when you asked, did I have any long-term plans? I, uh, I, I don't really understand the question. I, mean, I wanted to make a living and stay in the business. That was my long-term plan. You know, I mean, is that, is that what you mean? Or, or, or well, I, I didn't know. Like, uh, sometimes, you know, a, a guy, he'll only plan to be somewhere. Well, I might be here a few months, then I'll try to see what's else, you know, or – a guy, you know, he'll go and he'll be like, I'm going to try to make something, you know, this is close to home. Well, it's kind of like your uncle. He he started in Memphis, but he was like, well, I'm only going to be there for a certain time. Then he went to Calgary and he went to uh, Texas and all Skipping over the around. Yeah, I mean, was was your plans to, to stay in Memphis as long as you could? Or did you have like a plan that was like, I'm going to stay in Memphis until they move me to somewhere else is, is kind of what he was, I guess he was thinking about. Yeah, well, yeah. Um I had no intention of leaving. I was getting over like $10 million. Then I ain't bragging. I'm just being truthful. I was really, things were going fantastic. Um, but then, you know, some things happened. They they brought in uh, Paul Heyman, who's a dear friend of mine to this day. But at that point, he's another, we're exactly the same age. We're, he was born like a month and 16 days ahead of me. So we're both the same age. Uh, we'll both be 57 this year. Um, and they brought him in and put him in that main event uh, deal with uh, Lawler against, you know, Tommy Rich, Austin Idol, the head shave deal and everything. Mm-hmm. And they put Heyman in, you know, Paul Dangerly back then, put him in that deal. And I kind of didn't like that too much. Um, and what happened was, I heard there was a spot open for manager in Cottonell, which was Alabama territory. So I called down there and asked for Robert Fuller at the office. Well, he wasn't there that day or at that time. But Ronnie West, he's dead now, God bless him, but Ronnie West answered the phone. And I said, yeah, this is downtown Bruno. I'm thinking about coming down. I heard you on the spot. Oh, I'll let Robert know. We'll get back to you. Ronnie West promptly called Bill Dundee and stooged me out that I was trying to leave Memphis. (laughs) So they promptly figured me out of the main thing. Put I'm not gonna say anything negative because it's a positive thing, but it makes my my blood boil. 
they put me in a court justice suit and put Brickhouse Brown in my spot, and he's dead now too. Yeah. And I ended up losing my spot because Ronnie West threw me out. So, well, that, that... I won't expand on that any further because you know I, I was still only the business about seven years at the time, and believe me, you're no you're no seven year veteran. You're still green as the grass on the ground. But I learned you can't trust these certain people, and I know Ronnie West is dead now, so you know, God bless him. But he really did me wrong. You don't stooge on nobody. Right, right. Well, that was actually what I was going to ask. I know Jimmy Hart got a lot of heat uh, when he left, you know, for WWF at the time. Uh, he he talked right. about it in his book that you know Lawler was. I, I don't know if Lawler was successful or he tried to break his jaw, uh, or he was he was going to and and Jimmy was kind of sidestepping him and getting out of there. Uh, that kind of answers my question. I was going to ask you: Did you have any heat when you left uh, Memphis? And I, I'm assuming you didn't leave Memphis and go straight to WWE. You might have went to another territory at the time. Oh yeah, let me. T- I'll tell you that it's quite the opposite, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I left Memphis and went. Well, like I told you, that deal there with Ronnie West uh, messed me up. So I left and went to Kansas City. I went back to Kansas City as a manager. Stayed there for a while. Then I went to Alabama. After that, when the spot came open, went down there with Sid. I gave Sid his first full-time job in the business, and look where he, you know, went. Uh, excuse me, several-time world champion, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, then I left Alabama, came back to Memphis. Worked at home for another year or whatever. And then uh, I'm trying to think if I went to Louisiana or Alabama. But after a while, uh, things started winding down a little bit. And Robert Fuller came in uh, to Memphis and brought Sylvia, his wife, in there to be his manager and valet. So I was, like, relegated to second status. And I wasn't making a lot of money and getting a lot of push. So I left. I can't remember if I went back to Alabama or I went to. I think that's when I went to Louisiana, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then uh, had my run in Louisiana, had my run in Alabama, came back to Memphis, and then that's when I, instead of managing, I became one of the staples in the territory. I was in charge of the ring, I was a referee, and I wasn't going to leave anymore. You know, <laughs> manager or referee is talent. Mm-hmm, Talent right. circulating in and out, in and out, in and out. But if you're part of the office, like I was helping Lawler, you know, in the office and helping Jerry Jarrett, helping Randy Hales, not helping do the booking, but helping carry out the booker's request or, you know, whatever. Um, and I was in charge of a lot of stuff, so I wasn't going to leave. I was there pretty much for, for life if I wanted to be. That's <laughs> when WWF comes. And I wasn't going to go. And I told Lawler, I said, no. I said, WWF called me, but I'm in a good position here now. I'm not going to leave. And he goes, you telling me that WWF called you and you're going to stay here to work on the ring with Chili Willie and Big Fat Raymond? I said, yeah. <laughs> he goes, well, you're fired. Wow. <laughs> that's, what, that's what happened then. I, I, I said, but, but Jerry, what if I go up there and they decide they don't want me? He goes, I'll let you put in an application. <laughs> well, from 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 this point, let's just let's bag back just a little bit. So, were were you in Continental whenever the whole David Woods thing 
happen like whenever absolutely i was there so like just being there and being a part of the promotion like were you optimistic when that thing happened or did you did you see the writing on the wall and you knew hey i probably need to start looking for something else because this thing ain't gonna last long well at first it was going real well okay let me tell you the deal at first it was going well and I was in there. Robert Fuller, who was one of my best friends in the business, uh, was doing the booking. I was managing uh, main event. I was doing well. I was making decent money. Not that I was getting rich at, but I was making decent money. Right. And everything. And then uh, what happened was, and I'm not saying anything against Eddie Gilbert. He was one of my dearest friends in the business. So trust me when I tell you, this is not anything against Eddie Gilbert. I love him. If he was still alive, uh, he would be walking up my home if he wanted to move in and live there the right. rest of his life, free of charge. That goes to show you how I feel about it and the entire Gilbert family. But talking business, when Eddie came in to do the booking, guess who he brought in to be his manager? And and his first two guesses don't count. Paul right, Heyman. Right, right, right. This is the second time that Heyman came in to a spot that I was in. And Eddie being the booker, obviously going to be the main eventer and brings in his own manager. Well, you ain't got to be Albert Einstein to realize that the writing's on the wall for me, not for the organization. I understand the organization did very well during Eddie's time booking. Um, but I left, I went back to that's That's when I went back to Memphis. Okay. That's right. I went back to Memphis and I went from Memphis to Louisiana. That's what it is. Um, yeah. So, that's what happened there. Now, when I came back to Alabama before I went back to Memphis for the final run, uh, Eddie wasn't doing the booking anymore. Uh, territory had went down. Um, they were trying to run the same towns too often. They just, my understanding, they, not Eddie, but you know David Woods and right, right. Jack Curtis, who who was running the uh, office end. Um, He's dead now, too. So all these people I want to talk bad about, I can't because they're dead. <laughs> um, which I, I could, but I'm just not that type of person. Right, right. Vader. But, um, but anyway, <laughs> when I went back to Alabama, then it was on glass leg. Right. And that's when I – but I'm, I'm back. I can't remember if I went from Alabama to Louisiana back to Memphis or vice versa. Well, I, I can't remember. I, I was going to say, I mean, you're, uh, just looking at the records-wise, you're still the southeastern – uh, United States junior heavyweight champion for the continental promotion. Like, uh, longest reigning. That's, I mean, September 22nd, 1989. I mean, <laughs> that's one of the longest, uh, it's one of the longest title, uh, names. Reigns, yeah. Title names. And reigns. Yeah. It's the Southeastern junior heavyweight. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's like 18 no, names. Hey, <laughs> no, that's not 1999. That's 19. 19- yeah, September twenty second, nineteen eighty nine. That's uh, and right. they shut down. I think what was it, October? That that that's what I was going to ask you too. Did you stay till the very end, till they shut the doors, yep. or were you already gone? I really did. I no, I, I stayed till the very end. I already had a starting date. Like I said, I'm the dumbest son of a gun. I can't remember if I went to Louisiana. I think I'm almost for sure. I went to Louisiana. After that, and then I went back home, right. you know, to Memphis. I'm almost positive that's what it was. 
Alabama to Louisiana. They had like two or three runs in Alabama, yeah. two runs in Kansas City, one run in Louisiana, and my whole run was Memphis, of course. Back even when I was gone, I was still a Memphis guy. You know, <laughs> right. I was a Memphis guy that just wasn't there at the time. You know? Well, for somebody that watched the TV every single week, I mean, I anybody that you know you see first appear in Memphis, they're a Memphis guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's they're always be a Memphis guy. Like I always view Jimmy Hart. That's a that's a Memphis guy. You know, that's just right. who he is. Right, but, but yeah, so yeah, it was, yeah, it was sad. Alabama was a good territory at one point. But I'm going to tell you this. What happened was uh, WWE, and I've told this to Vince himself, who was a dear friend of mine, Vince McMahon, he's a victim of his own success because he was he had all the territories in the country to pick from to get guys to come to work for him. Who's getting over here? Who's getting over there? Who's getting over here? You know, and these guys all had experience, myself, everyone else. When I went to WWE, I was already in the business 10 years. You know, um, when the territories went away, and all of a sudden Vince didn't have no place to pick talent from anymore. So, you know, it was a, uh, like I said, he was a victim of his own success. He, he didn't intentionally do it, but he killed the goose that laid the golden egg. Right. Now, you know, we talked about, so far, Josh, we have talked about uh, Paul Heyman a couple times here. And about him, him stepping on our man Bruno here's good time. But let's let's talk about this. You've seen, you've heard about that. I'm a Paul Heyman guy. We've seen him in the crowd we, at various wrestling. There is a shirt out there that we would probably endorse better than that, right, Josh? And that is, I am a downtown Bruno guy. A shirt that you can pick up right now on ProWrestlingTees.com. Go there and look for Downtown Bruno's merchandise. He's got that one, and he's got another one out there. Uh, I just had it pulled up, but I am a, I'm a Downtown Bruno guy. That is an awesome shirt. Me and you are going to have to pick up those. But go out there right now, support Bruno. Get get one of his shirts, man. These look awesome. These high-quality shirts from Pro Wrestling Tees, you can't beat it. And uh, like I said, we're looking at it. I, I just couldn't help but think, you know, uh, Paul Paul has stepped on you so many times. Let's step on him a little bit and sell some shirts. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, but honestly, God, Paul never intentionally right. stepped on me. He, right. just, <laughs> he booked it to make a living in a place where I was making a living. I can't blame him for for not saying, oh, no, I don't want to make a living. Let Bruno make a living. You know what I mean? That's, right. that's the business. And I have no, absolutely no hard feelings about it. And I consider him one of my closest friends in the business. And, you know, we when he came to WWE, I mean, we bonded instantly, and we're just like best of friends. He's a great guy. Yeah, well, oh, absolutely. Hey, don't get me wrong. Yeah, please get that shirt and make me proud because <laughs> a lot of people wear the downtown Bruno shirt or the other one that says "Mama says it be that way." Sometimes. Yeah, that's it. Uh, but but believe me, it's not to put any kind of uh, black mark on Mister Heyman. I love the guy. Love it. Right. Well, I mean, you're killing off the sympathy route we were going here, Bruno. <laughs> no, but no. And I mean, uh, you know, I, I, but I have to walk every day 10 miles uphill through the snow, even in August. There we go. Mississippi. So please help me. How about that? There you go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> buy that shirt. That'll help him walk one mile less every, every two shirts yeah. you buy. <laughs> uh, well, well, you know, we've got to talk more about some of this stuff. I, I don't want to keep you on here forever because we could talk to you all night about stuff like this. But uh, 
Uh, hey, I would, I'm in no rush. I'm, I'm fine. I love talking to y'all. Yeah, I mean, this is this is awesome. Yeah, go and check out his merchandise, Downtown Bruno at ProWrestlingTees.com. Uh, but, you know, I was stooged off to a video that I didn't know really existed. And uh, we have a close personal friend that wrestles by the name Dangerous Dan Matthews. Um, great guy. A great guy. We're going to have him on pretty soon. He's He's got some things in the works we're going to want to talk to him about. But he stooged Television us off today. to this video. I'm not sure if you can hear this or not. I'm going to play it just so our audience can hear. But the video is titled, When Downtown Bruno Attacks. We're going to take a listen to it right now. The massive doomsday part of Team Icon. Dutch Mantell said that he will put that title on the line, or, or Doomsday will put that title on the line, any place, anywhere. You got to tag. Holy, what a, what a <laughs> going on here? And in comes Bruno. Bruno a house of fire, man. Hey, you guys. Hey, break it up. Break, break it up. Come, Bruno. So, those of you that can't see this, I mean, if, you, if you're going to go look it up, when Bruno attacks, when downtown Bruno attacks, Bruno's throwing shots at everybody here. The show has been on for what looks to be two minutes, Josh. And in if it, that. And Bruno comes jumping over that. I don't think at my youngest age, of course, I was always kind of pudgy and out of shape, but I don't think at my best I could have jumped over that desk that good. It's um, that guy from Texas, Mark, uh, what's his name, dragging you out of the arena. I can't remember. No, James name. Beard. Ja- James Beard, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now Dan was the one that, clued me in on this and he said ask him about this it's a good story and i was like man i'm kind of intrigued because those those look like semi-live rounds that you were throwing there <laughs> um what what's the story on that okay here's the story i'm not saying that our business is not real right by no means am i i would never disrespect the business that i make my living at right but saying it's not real However, I'm trying to think of a way to put it. Normally, when we're out there, we respect one another, and we're not trying to hurt one another. We're just trying to win the match or whatever. Okay, does that yep. explain myself pretty good on that? Yes, okay, Because we all have to make a living. We're not trying to stop nobody from making a living. That right there is why that happened. There was, a, there was a guy named Larry Burton that came in to run the Memphis Wrestling. He's the one who killed Memphis Wrestling the first time. <laughs> uh, okay. What happened was Larry Burton, you notice that Dave Brown wasn't on the TV anymore. Right. Because that guy that I beat up, Tony Friedman, said, told Larry Burton, oh, if you'll just let me do the, be on TV and do the commentary, I, I won't even charge you. I'll do it for free. I just want to be on TV. I just want to be on TV. Oh, my God, so they weren't going to pay Dave Brown no more. Uh. He just took money out of somebody's pocket because he had an ego, wanted to be on TV. Then you turn around, and this is nothing again. I'm ready to throw my iced tea against the wall right now. I'm just drinking iced tea. Make that clear to everybody. (laughs) Right. You know me, you know. It's after 6.30 in the evening. Anyway, Larry Burton says, Larry Burton says, well, Bill Rush says if he, if we let him work the house shows, he'll referee on TV for free. So we're not going to pay you anymore to referee on TV. I said, this is professional wrestling. We get paid. It's how I make my living. Well, Bill Rush is better than you anyway. I reached back and punched Larry Burton in the face as hard as I could. And I started wailing on him. 
He grabbed me by my, my scruff of my shirt. I grabbed him by his throat. And this is back in the EMG room at Channel 5, which is the room with all the millions of dollars worth of equipment. <laughs> so Mike Samples and Jerry Lawler pulled us apart. And, and I mean, it's like Lawler goes, Jesus Christ, all of a sudden Bruno's bruiser Brody. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, human. I was furious. So Larry Burke goes, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're done, you're done. And I looked, after that, everything was calm a little bit. I said to Lawler, I said, I'm fired, huh? I said, can I go out on TV live right now and beat the shit out of Tony Friedman? And Lawler goes, I dare you. I said, will you hold my, will you hold my glass? Said, yes. And I went out there and I just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> right on TV. Nice. Now, wait a minute. And I, hey, like, like uh, the famous TV show, wait, there's more. Okay. <laughs> so, remember, I was in charge of the rings at the time. Okay. So, they said, oh, we're going to let this guy named Tony Myers be in charge of the rings. We're going to let Tony Myers be in charge of the rings. Tony Myers didn't know his ass from his elbow. He knew how to put it up because I taught him how. He knew how to take it down because I taught him how. If something went wrong with the ring, he didn't have a clue. The first Saturday morning that Tony Myers was in charge of the ring, it collapsed on live TV. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, oh, look. Now this is back in this is back before cell phones, okay? You remember this. Y'all are younger than me, but I'm sure you remember this. Right. Used to be the answer machine would sit on your table next to your phone. Right. And somebody would call. You know, it would ring a certain number of times and say, Hi, this is this is Richard, this is Bruno, this is Josh, whatever. Please leave a message at the tone. Beep and you could hear the message. And so they had Steve Dahl call me because they knew I was good friends with him. So I didn't answer the phone, obviously. There was no caller ID then. I didn't know who it was, you know, until he started talking. And he says, hey, Bruno, um, they've decided to lift your suspension and hire you back. And I, <laughs> then he started whispering. He goes, don't pick up, don't pick up. I know you're laughing. <laughs> oh, yeah, Bruno, they've decided, uh, you know, if you, if you don't mind coming to Channel 5, you get up here as quick as you can and help with the ring and you'll be reinstated. Don't pick up. This is hilarious. Um, yeah. Hey, Larry. Larry, Bruno must not be home. He don't answer. Sorry. And I laughed. And finally, Lawler called me. He says, we got a show tonight. I forget where it was. Somewhere in Tennessee. He goes, can you come get the ring and bring it and put it up? I says, I'm not using Tony Myers and his bunch. I want Chili William Fat Raymond. He goes, bring Chili William Fat Raymond whoever you want. Please come back. So I said, okay. I'll come back, but no more Tony Myers, no more Tony Freeman, <laughs> and that, that was it. So all of a sudden, I had all the, all the uh, ball in my the balls in my court, so to speak. Right. So yeah, it would be said about knowing what you're doing. <laughs> it would have been hilarious though after you would attack Tony if you would have went back out there and just loosened the bottom rope by like a quarter of a turn <laughs> right. just just sabotage the show but you know you talked about answering machines I remember when I was in high school I had one of those uh, and it, it was a digital one so I didn't have a tape but it was a digital one and I remember having right. this super goofy message and uh, this girlfriend at the time that I had me and her had broken up and uh, she was trying to call me so I just remember hearing the super goofy like I think it might have been Scooby Doo or something like leave a message blah you know and it would beep 
And when it beeped, it's like, call me back, okay? (laughs) It's like, it's the stupidest thing ever. (laughs) You know, you would hear Scooby-Doo's voice, and it's just, but there's nothing more comical than an answering machine message because it was either, they were either done like very straight or somebody just didn't know how to talk on them. And uh, when you said that, it just sparked that for me. Um, But yeah, so so not long after that, USWA kind of folded, didn't it? Yeah, because it was ridiculous. There was a guy that running it, Larry Burton, that had about as much business running a damn wrestling company as I got flying a dang gun airplane, you know. But <laughs> he thought he knew everything, and he killed it. He killed it dead in, dead in hell. And, but I'm going to tell you, you said the worst thing. Let me tell you what would have been the worst thing, though. Think about this. What if Tony Freeman would have flipped around and just beat the shit out of me? That would have ruined my career. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, would it have, though? Because you were a heel, you know, people, you know, I don't know if it would have ruined your, I think you could have made it work. Well, I wasn't a heel then. I was just a regular referee. Oh, I, was, then you I had enough, and I just beat the shit out of him, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then, yeah, it would have killed you dead. For You would have had to turn heel the next week. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Michael St. John didn't have very much to say at all. It's like, what's going on here? And then it happened. <laughs> he thought they were doing an angle, or we were doing an angle, but they didn't tell him about it. He didn't know how to said, I'm going to beat the shit out of this son of a bitch. He t- he's taking money out of – we do this for a living. He's but- not doing it for a hobby. Well, this ain't an effing hobby. Right. That My was- house is paid for from – professional wrestling the shoes i got on whatever i got on my, my shirt everything i got was paid for by professional wrestling i owe my life to rocky johnson jerry the king lawler and to a lesser degree Gino tatry uh, dale man and obviously the wwe and everybody that has been kind enough to let me be a part of that family for all these years so but it all started with Rocky Johnson and Jerry King Lawler and and people like Bob Geigel and and, and uh, Buck Robley that booked me in Louisiana and uh, Robert Fuller who booked me in Alabama and and uh, believe me somebody just tries to use this as a hobby or something yeah. I just I don't I don't I take this business I have a good time and I have fun I laugh and joke around but when it comes down to it I take the business very seriously. Right, right. So uh, we were we were we were looking at Wikipedia, just you know, uh, deciding like uh, what we believed and what we didn't believe. But um, it's it said that uh, during like your you know after Guido Mongol trained you and all that, like Lord Jonathan Boyd became a uh, mentor in your career. Is is that true? And do you have any like? Yeah, good- he kind of did. I mean, do you have any um, good uh, Lord Jonathan Boyd stories? Well, the thing with him was, he was a bad, bad drunk. He would get drunk and get very mean and evil. He was he would, he uh, was good to me in the business. Yeah, but at times, became a very evil, mean guy, and he died alone, an alcoholic. At a, fairly young age um he did help me a lot he, he got me booked he had me a start date in san antonio he was booking down there for the uh for uh joe blanchard but that's about the time that the territory closed down there right so i didn't go but I, he had me a start date i mean he was he looked after me 
I have no hatred for him or anything like that. He's not Vader. Um, but <laughs> I've got to know now, right? I've got to. He was he was always okay. He just had his demons. And and truthfully, this is not me standing up on a, on a, on a, a pulpit at the church or something, but I have to be truthful with you. He, it, the one thing, he was preaching, there ain't no God. I'm an atheist. There ain't no God. There ain't no God. Well, I, I couldn't take that no more. Right, and, right. and everybody can believe whatever you want. That's fine. I'm not trying to say everybody should believe like I do. Okay. I, I'm a 100% Christian, Catholic, Lord Jesus Christ worshiping, period. Right. No arguments, no questions, no doubts. Okay. However, and I'm not saying y'all are. I'm just saying, for example, right. if y'all didn't believe in God, that's your business. Right. Don't like, I don't go around preaching Jesus unless somebody asks me, how do you believe? What do you believe? Okay. Jonathan made it this point. I always talk about, there ain't no God. There ain't no God. I don't want to hear that shit. Right, right. If you don't believe in go around and don't believe in God. You know, I mean, I don't believe in, in uh, you know, the tooth fairy. I don't parade around the streets or anything. Hey, how you doing, man? There ain't no tooth fairy. How you doing? Hey, no tooth fairy. Telling every seven-year-old, hey, guess what, chump? There ain't no fucking tooth fairy. I like, just, I just why wanna, would you do that? I just want to point out that The Rock was the tooth fairy. He uh, was. In that movie. He was. So You're right. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, I, I forgot about that. That's before he cut his action movie star. That's right. 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 <laughs> Yeah, you know, I actually met him once or twice. Yeah, yeah, we, we're going to talk about that. You know, feel free to give me the Iggy on this if you want, because, like I said, we would talk positive. But well, before you, we get off you, of Lord Jonathan okay, Boyd, all right. Bruno, have you ever seen the video of Lord Jonathan Boyd catching himself on fire? No, what territory was that in? Oregon. It was whenever uh, Brian sounds, Brian sounds like Clark, an Oregon thing to do. Yeah, it was like uh, uh, whenever Don Owens was kind of wrapping it up. It was uh, Brian Adams who became Crush in WWE or, right. or whatever. Um, he was just getting his start or whatever, and uh, he was in some kind of faction with Lord Jonathan Boyd. And in the um, the early stages of like whatever botchamania is and stuff, uh, when people were watching funny wrestling videos and the first viral ones or whatever, Lord Jonathan. Jonathan Boyd had one where he's pretty much just saying, and we're going to fight fire with fire. And he takes a piece of flash paper out, but whenever he lights it and he throws it, it goes back onto his own shoulder and he pretty much catches his head, neck and shoulder on fire. (laughs) And somehow, (laughs) somehow that made it on YouTube. It's, it's, it's an awesome look. Uh, If you get time, I'll uh, go look it up. I'll text you a link or something after this.
So they had me drive down from Memphis to referee that one because their main referees were at the big show. Well, nobody bothered to tell me that in the Dallas territory, if the guys are out on the floor, they have a 20 count <laughs> where I'm always just 10 count. Right. Right. So all the people there were Dallas, you know, world class or USWA I guess, people at the time. And two guys were out on the floor doing something. After I hit 10, I told the, I looked at the bell guy, ring the bell. And he looked at me, and I said, ring the fucking bell. And he, he looked at me, okay, you rang it. Everybody just stopped. The fans, the wrestlers, everybody was like, what the hell? Nobody bothered to tell me. I never seen a 20 count in my life, but that's their deal there. It was like Memphis has their own deal. No pile drivers or one way in the territory. No over-the-top rope, whatever. Some places didn't have that. Well, that evidently was their deal. Well, I didn't know it. So I, to this day, I said, why didn't they tell me it was a 20 count on the daggum floor? <laughs> Well, you know, you brought it up a couple times, and like I said, feel free to give me the Iggy on this because I I don't want to go negative if you don't want to or anything. You can say whatever you want to, but like I said, I didn't want to bring up anything that was negative that you didn't want to talk about. But you've mentioned Vader a couple times. What was the heat there, if you don't mind me asking? Well, uh, you know what? Let me just put it like this here, you know. This way, I don't have to bring it up on this positive broadcast. Right. But tell everybody, and you don't have to take this out. I'll say it right now. Let everyone, after they listen to this, go Google or YouTube or whatever. When I did the stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw, I told the whole story on there. Mm -hmm. um, now, as much as I did not like Leon White or respect Leon White, in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I can't stress enough. God bless him. I'm sorry that he passed away. God bless his family. I didn't know them, but they lost a member of their family, their father, their husband, or whatever, you know, whatever. God bless him. I don't have no happiness that he had illness, sickness, ailments, and died. Right. Zero. I said prayer for his soul. Um, but business-wise, uh, just everybody that's interested, go to, like I said, on YouTube, Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. Yep. I did an interview with them a few months ago, and I explained the whole thing. And just yeah, business-wise, he was not my friend in any way. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a, that's a great show. I like listening to those guys over there, too. Uh, I love – I love everything JBL does, and, you know, you can't get any better than Mr. Briscoe. So, I mean, their stories are really good. Uh, I, heard, I heard some of that uh, interview. I haven't listened to all of it yet. Uh, I didn't want to step on the toes or try to get the questions from them. You know what I mean? I didn't want it to be parallel thinking there. So, um, I didn't listen to all of it, but I knew you were on there. But, yeah, go check that out because that is a really good podcast if you're listening to us. Uh, I, what was it called again? It's Stories uh, – it's Briscoe and JBL. Stories with Bradshaw. Yes. Go check that out because, like I said, it's it's a really good podcast. Uh, we'll go more of a positive note here. Um, it's, you know, story that's come out, story that's come out on Young Rock that comes on NBC right now. Uh, you were pretty close with The Rock and his dad and his family. And, you know, when he was 15, the story is he came and stayed with you. Uh, what was the 15-year-old Rock like? I mean, was he... 
Like, what was he into? Was he really into wrestling? Did he, you know, stay out of trouble? Was he into certain music? <laughs> Negative on all. <laughs> he, was into, he was into stealing. He was into driving. And I was very into receiving free stolen goods and have somebody <laughs> drive me around. So it worked out very well for both of us. <laughs> you know? Right. So, um, I mean... Let me tell you, if anybody watched Young Rock this past uh, uh, Tuesday, uh, May 3rd episode, if you didn't watch it, go on whatever source. You know, you have to watch things and watch it. The very last scene, and Dwayne texted me last night about it, and I texted him back. He told me before it happened, he was, it's going to bring tears to your eyes. And he was right. He they showed the scene where Vince McMahon, you know, the actor playing Vince McMahon told, quote, unquote, Dwayne, you know, the actor playing Dwayne. Okay, we're going to send you to Memphis to work in the Memphis organization to get ready for, you know, up here. He goes, do you have any place to stay when you get to Memphis? And Dwayne said, yes, I have family there. And they cut to the next scene where he knocked on the door. And I opened up the door. You know, the actor playing me opened up the door. And I said, welcome home, brother. And we hugged. And it did bring tears to my eyes. That's awesome. Because we came, I mean, he, you talk about somebody that's changed my life. I mean, it, it's not the truck he gave me or the exposure he's given me. It's the fact that we remain friends and that he remembers all the things that we went through together. And that's, that's huge to me. You know, right. I mean, when me and him first met, I was the quote-unquote big star, you know, making 800 bucks a week or something, you know. <laughs> and now, I'm like, it's just, who knew? It's just, who knew? Yeah, I mean, I've heard the short story, uh, if you don't mind telling us, uh, about how you took him to get his first car. Uh, I've heard I've heard bits and pieces of the short story. Uh, do you mind telling us the, fir- the story about you going with him to buy his first car? Yeah, well, I, I didn't go with him. We were together. See, there's this place in Nashville called Lower Broadway. Now it's mm-hmm. like Bill Street. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Hooters and, and uh, Planet <laughs> Hollywood. You know, whatever. Just right. you know, It's all corporate and, you know, gentrified or whatever. It's like Bill Street is too. But as y'all know, being kind of Memphis guys, right. you know, Bill Street at one point was the roughest street in memphis right okay mm-hmm. well lower broadway was the roughest street in nashville before they cleaned it up gentrified it which actually to me took the character away from it but that's another story <laughs> but back back in the early 80s there was nobody on lower broadway in nashville but drug addicts prostitutes drunks people that came to town to become country music stars and end up playing guitar in the street with a, with a bucket in front of them. You know what I mean? It's right. the roughest part of Nashville. I mean, when you walk down the lower Broadway, the cops would frisk you. If you didn't have a gun or a knife, they'd give you one. You know, that's how bad it was. You know? so, the hotels on that street well, stole na- your towels. <laughs> so naturally, that's where I would hang out. And he was my bodyguard. He was 15. He was already 16 or whatever, big old imposing looking guy. And I was downtown Bruno, you know, which was a big deal back then. And people were always gathering around me. And he was standing behind me all the time. 
And then uh, these two bums said, hey, man, you want to buy a car? You want to buy a car? It was old Thunderbird. And uh, I don't want to buy that damn car. And Dewey said, Dwayne said, uh, no, no, let's check it out. Let's check it out. <laughs> and it was the worst car you ever seen in your damn life. But I said, oh, man, come on, Dwayne. Said, no, let's buy it. Let's buy it. Let's buy it. I said, you ain't got no money. He goes, yeah, but you do. Oh, Jesus Christ. What you want for it? 80 bucks. I said, 80 bucks? And I said, I'll give you 40, and I'll come back tomorrow and give you another 40. Oh, okay. We'll take it. It was the worst looking effing car. Anyway, we got the keys. We drove it. Dwayne drove it. I'm following behind him. There's no tags on it. He ain't got no license. He's 15. We get about three blocks away from Lower Broadway. And he pulls over. I said, that's some bitch I'm giving out already. <laughs> I walked up there. Oh, well, I just, I, just, I just lost 40 bucks. No, no, no. Look, there was a guy sleeping in the back seat under a bunch of old <laughs> garbage and shit. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, God. Put him out. And we got that car over to the Alamo Plaza. That was Wayne's first car. And I bought it for him. And we still owe that. Bum, forty more bucks. So. <laughs> uh, so I was going to say something tells me I'm there was quite sure that that, damn near forty years ago. I'm quite sure that person is no longer on this earth. <laughs> I don't know if he made that the rest of that week. To be honest with you, uh, I mean, but, something tells me there was no bill of sale signed on that thing. <laughs> no, there was nothing. Just a fifteen year old kid got his first car. And That's he was awesome. Happy with it, you know. Yeah. And it never started again. yeah i mean like i said my first car was a 1980 dodge aspen and i mean to this day if i could get it back i would get it back even though it wasn't nothing to look at it's just something about your first car but that's that's an awesome i've heard bits and pieces of that but i wanted to talk about that on here um yeah you've you've been around the uh you've been around the wrestling business for a while and we we do this little thing wow Wow, that's I mean that's that's amazing to have that kind of longevity in this business. You don't you don't see that any, anymore. You know what I mean? Like you don't see somebody having that and and the thing about it is we do these things and you know I wrestled for 12 and I had to give it up cuz of injuries. Um but you you do these things in the back because you're on the road and you're trying to uh entertain yourself. We call them ribs. Uh and right. we used to, I mean, was you a rib guy? Was you like, did you like playing pranks on people or did you? No. No. <laughs> no. no. That was never my thing. I didn't, because I didn't want to be ribbed. Right. And I, I, no, I never, never a rib guy. I was always one to have fun. Right. I never ribbed. Like I, like I would uh, uh, say, hey, Richard, Haywood's looking for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but who would I say? Haywood could kiss my ass, you know, something like that. But, you know, I wouldn't like, hide your shoes or, you know, <laughs> you know, sit in your, you know, bag. You know, I, I was right. a ripper. I, I used to have fun. Right. Still do when I'm around. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I never cared for the, the, the ribs. It was never my thing. Yeah. Uh, true story. He tried to get me with the Haywood thing this past week when I saw him in, in Millington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody would. Nobody would go for it. I yeah. mad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you always heard about people like Kurt Henning taking a lock and and putting it through, you know, two people's bags that hated each other, or uh, you know, I, those were the one. Or Owen Hart, 
you know, uh, Brian Christopher, when he was on here with us, you know, he was a real good friend of mine because, you know, I worked well, a lot with him when I was starting out. You know, I, I was trained by Bill uh, Dundee, and then uh, I right. worked a lot with Kevin White, and he was with Kevin all the time. So me and me, – Brian got me a lot of bookings when I wouldn't have gotten them because he was just like, come with me. Um, so he did a lot yeah, for Yeah, Brian me. was a great – God bless him. I miss him. He was like a brother to me or, or, or a nephew or something, you know? Right. right. Yeah. Uh, he told me this. He told the story on the, our podcast about how Owen Hart was in the car with him. And he said, let's see how fast we can get this thing going. They were in a rental car and said uh, they got he got it up to like fourth gear or something like that. And they were going. And all of a sudden, Owen just pulled the handbrake that was in the middle of the. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean. As long as there's nobody getting hurt, I never really got cared for the shitting in people's bags type thing or anything well, like the, that. But the thing you would hear about ribs was like they're building camaraderie. You know, it brings yeah. the boys. Yeah, I don't know what shitting in the bag does, but no. it's not camaraderie at well, all. Well, here's the thing. I'll tell you this though about the business. Yeah, like if I wanted, to, like I'm not a ribber, like I said, but like we're in Millington the other day. If I wanted to rib one of the guys, I'm not going to shit in his bag. That's not a rib, but. That's more like that guy really fucked somebody over. Let's get even with him. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. If I want, and again, I'm not a ripper. If I want to rib you, uh, like if you were wrestling that night, I would hide one of your boots. You know, and <laughs> right. so you're like, well, I'd give it back to you. I wouldn't expect you to try to go to the ring with one boot. <laughs> you know, something like that. You know, or, or or put a sign on your back. I'm an asshole or something. You know, wouldn't let you go to the ring that way. Right. But get in the bag or cutting your like Fuji was the worst about that. Fuji didn't like you. Fuji would shit in your bag. He would cut your clothes apart. Cook your dog. I mean, well, teriyaki. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's almost like those ain't ribs. Those are like almost like evil acts. Right. You know? Whether it's about or not. It's not for me to say. You know. Right, and I mean, my favorite one was where uh, Lawler pulled over Joe LaDuke. Uh, he had the, right, uh, right. <laughs> he had the little police light on his car and he pulled over Joe LaDuke. And when he pulled him over, Joe was ticked off because he might have thrown some stuff of illegal substance out of his car <laughs> thinking he was getting pulled right. over. <laughs> so. The police right. are coming. Uh, <laughs> <the> shit out. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I mean, mean, I've seen some, I've seen some shit. Trust me. I've seen some shit. And, uh, I never wanted to be a part of it. I never got ripped because I'd always get along with everybody. Right. You know, so I never had happen to me, you know. You know. I just couldn't imagine was, being a part of, like, the uh, Jackie Fargo and Don Fargo Mabel stuff or, like, where they would get the blanks and the gun and shoot one another with the hitchhiker or whatever. That was just, like, outer space type ribs. It's like... That's taking right. stuff to another level that I'm not prepared to go to. Or you hear like Roddy Piper and Jay the Alaskan York with the paying people to weld their car to the 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 stop signs or whatever. Right. I mean, it's just way out of this world stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. All I want to do is make a living. Go to the town, do what I have to do, and go home. Go to the next town, go home. That's all I care about. No, you know what? The whole basis of the business is go home. Just go home. Is that, is that I was gonna say, is that our cue? <laughs> Take it home. No, no, no. <laughs> far, I'm not out there trying to live the life. I want to do my job and go right, home. Right. You know, 
hang out after the show. I don't want to go to the bar with the guys I've been with all day after the show. I want to go home. Or if it's on the road, I want to go back to my hotel room and unwind. I want to do my own thing. I've never been a social. Because they're socialists. Of course, I'm not a socialist. What's, uh, <laughs> a socialite. There you <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> Breaking news: Downtown Bruno admits here he is a socialist. <laughs> no, no I, uh, I do not support Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> oh me. Well, uh, Dan tipped me off to one more story. He said that I had to ask you about, and it involves an um, a guy known as Adam Bomb in a London airport. Oh my God! We was in Heathrow Airport, and that's back when the uh, the uh, IRA had th- thrown grenades or something. So the whole airport was shut down. Wow. Nobody could fly in. Nobody could fly out. It was like a it was a madhouse in there. So me, Alundra Blaze, Brian Clark, who was Adam Bomb, Steve Lombardi, and Randy Savage, and Sherry Martell were all together trying to figure out well maybe if we catch up uh, some type of bus down to Glasgow or some other you know place over there in the UK. We can fly home from there. It was the last day of the tour. But the daggum airport was shut because the IRA. Long story short, I, I forget if it was Randy Savage. One of them said, hey, we, we got a, uh, there's a way we can get a, a, a car service to take us to Glasgow, which I don't remember how many miles it was, but you know, we get down there and we can fly from Glasgow to wherever and then we can catch another flight and take us to New York. So, oh, my God, we got to hurry up and do this. Where's, where's, where's Clark? Where's Clark? I seen Adam Bomb way over somewhere else. Bomb! Bomb! I just hollered his name like I wouldn't address room. Oh, my God. Everybody and their brother fucking stopped what they were doing. There's cops with fucking rifles. I said, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you just called Adam or Brian or whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, I didn't think about it. He's in the dress room. Hey, Bob, come here. Come here, Bob. <laughs> I'm at Heathrow Airport in the middle of a oh. freaking bombing thing. I go, Bob, Bob. I mean, I, looking back, I could have maybe thought that one through a little bit more carefully. <laughs> yeah. I have a buddy who's one of his favorite drinks. Is It's called an Irish car bomb. It's Bailey's and uh, Irish cream. And you drop it in, and it tastes almost like a milkshake. But you have to drink it really fast because it curdles the cream or whatever. But he said he was over in uh, Ireland one time, and he was just like, man, I want one of those. And he ordered an Irish car bomb. Well, apparently they don't call it that there. And it's like one of the most offensive (laughs) things you can say. And they're like, what did you just say to us? So, yeah, um, I can see how that could be problematic. That that was pre-9-11. Of course, it was Adam Bomb. Right, 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 right. Now you'd never get out of jail. <laughs> oh, yeah, you'd still be in the, uh, yeah. <laughs> the holding facility. Um, well, I know. Well, I was going to say, we've got three more questions for you if you got time here. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we always, you know, you always ask the people, you know, who was on your Mount Rushmore, and we don't we, – Mount Rushmore is four people, top five. Uh, who would say, you know, and this is just your opinion, you, no right or wrong answers here. Who would you say the top five people you've ever seen work, like wrestling-wise, uh, could be managers, could be wrestlers, but the top five in the industry that you've ever seen uh, at any era? Well, you know, it's funny. Because I see this all the time. The, the uh, You know, asking different guys who's the, 
Rushmore, you know, Mount Rushmore. Right. And I've seen people, you know, give different answers. And most of the answers I would agree with. Uh, however, I can, I can honestly say I cannot list because there's so many. I mean, I'd have to have like a, that gum huge mountain because there's just <laughs> so many. I can't limit it to four. Right. I mean, Jerry the King Lawler, without a doubt. Right. I mean, to me, right. undoubtedly, could work with anybody. And he's done leaps and bounds, personally, too, for my life, but also in, in the business, as a businessman. I mean, he's way up there. And see, there's so much different criteria. Is this, does this guy have great bumps? Does this guy do great promo? There's somebody like Jared King Lawler is one of the best, if not the best. Uh, Dusty Rhodes. Oh, yeah. I will never let anybody think against him. He could talk. He could work. He could get the people behind him. He was phenomenal. Dusty Rhodes was tremendous. No ifs, ands, buts, or maybes to that, period. Uh, the magnificent one, Don Morocco. Unbelievable, possibly the best rugged heel I ever seen in my life. He had a ho- you. Do you ever see the one where he ate the hoagie sandwich and kicked the dude's ass during yeah. the match? <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's un- one of the best there ever was. I mean, there's so many I could right. I could name that I couldn't just do a Mount Rushmore. I mean, Hulk Hogan. Right. Is the Elvis Presley uh, of the business? Right. If and no ifs ands or buts, Elvis Presley it, it was the best of all time in music. Now, I'm not saying everybody gets their opinion. Oh, I right. think Roy Elvis was. I think, but I'm saying as far as as uh, who drew the most money ever in the business, nobody's going to argue that it wasn't Hulk Hogan because it was. Right. Without a doubt. So he's up there. Undertaker was a long-standing, the longest-running top guy there ever was. Dwayne, or Stone Cold Steve Austin, drew huge amounts of money. Shawn Michaels is possibly the most athletic uh, guy that ever stepped in the square circle. I mean, you know what I mean? I can't do – I was – it's funny you ask that question because when I see these guys do this Mount Rushmore, I just can't limit it. Right. Randy Savage. For a shitload of money. Yeah, yeah. Good worker, good guy. I liked him. I could never put Ultimate Warrior in there. He was horrible. Did he <laughs> draw money? Sure, but he was horrible. Right. Let's just be honest. Yeah. So, but yeah, there's a, I would say there's a lot of really good guys. There was a lot of really good guys that drew money, made money. They were nice guys. But some guys that nobody ever heard of should be up there. You know what I mean? It's right. Just, it's very subjective. But, yeah, Lawler, Don Morocco, Hogan. Uh, who had the better look in the business than Sid? Nobody. No, God. Sid had the look. He had the, if you said, let's, let's start this new business called professional wrestling. Uh, let's, let's invent a guy that would be the ultimate look. Right. Sid right. would be the, you know what I mean? It's it, just, and it's always been, in my mind, like if you could make an action figure. You know, just like a generic, this is a wrestler action figure. It would look like Sid. I mean, it, it, it from top to bottom. I mean, I've heard like a, I, I, I've heard stories from a guy that knew him before wrestling. 
you know, back when he just played softball, you know, right before he got into the business. And he said, you know, he's pissing in a urinal one day and all of a sudden the light goes out. And it's Sid walking up behind him, fixing to take another urinal beside him. And he said, man, it's not just that the guy is like seven feet freaking tall. It's he's as wide as the fucking bathroom is. Like he is a, he's just, he's like another level of human being. I was legit afraid of him when I was a kid. Like. You like if I would have saw him, I would have pissed my pants. Like I saw him beat up Sting, I saw him beat up you know just about everybody. Even his program uh, that you were involved with at WrestleMania when he was trying to go after Hulk Hogan, and he 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 messes up Brutus Beefcake's barbershop, and he's got all that foam <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Oh, and he's he's looking menacing. I was afraid of him then more than ever because he looked like man. If he's going to do this, what's he going to do to Hogan? You know. But I met him uh, in Memphis. Uh, when we were working with uh, the Memphis Territory right the, the last time when it was on CW30. Corey's. Corey, yeah, when Corey Macklin was running it. We were right. working there, and they brought Sid in. And to this day, like, I remember just being in awe of him, of just how big he was. And I'm, I'm 6'3", 300 pounds at the time, but I'm just sitting there looking at him like, man, this man is Mr. Massive. Sid, sir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had the look, without a doubt. And, I mean – you can't take it away from him. He's got the ultimate look of a – can you imagine if Sid had his look – I'm not taking away from his work. Don't take that. But I'm saying yeah, right. imagine if Sid could work like Shawn Michaels. Oh, God. Oh God and had yeah. the look. Jesus Christ, he'd be the ultimate – he would be the ultimate warrior. <laughs> you know what I mean? The <laughs> ultimate guy in the ring. <laughs> well, you know, we were looking at this, like I said, two more. And, uh, uh, we got one here. Just recently, maybe almost a year ago now in July of 2021, you won a political office. Uh, congratulations, sir. Uh, but, Thank you. But the question is going to be, um, you know, we don't talk politics here for the most part because it's like politics, religion. You, we don't talk about it because it's almost divide. like it's, it's almost like you believe how you believe and all I'm going to do is start an argument. But, Are you a crip or a blood? Yeah. <laughs> but That's what we talked about earlier. You're right. right. I don't right. care if you're gay, straight, right. atheist, Christian. Just don't throw it in my face and we'll be right. fine. Right. right. Uh, what have you found is more vicious uh, in the political game or wrestling in the back when it's a hostile environment? What, what could be more of the uh, uncomfortable feeling? Is it politics or wrestling? No, wrestling without doubt. The <laughs> politics thing, at least on my level. Yeah, there's a little bullshit. Uh, people want to have something voted in. They come in front of the board, and the rest of the board don't want it or whatever. No, but something that I don't care about, I just recuse myself. No, I just I just sit back. No, I, I want to help I can the best I can. Right. If I'm really, really serious about something, yeah, I'll stand up for it. But so far, it's been nothing that's just really – you know, flip my switch that I was just adamant, you know, like right. just little things in the family. These people wanted to park tractor trailers in a certain part of town and the board and the mayor don't want those tractor trailers in that certain part of town. Yeah, they said it, it, it doesn't look, it's not a good look for our town. Um, but one of the guys that I, you know, besides the wrestling bit, I've got other interests too. One of the guys I work with, uses those tractor trailers to move his product. He's a, he owns huge parts of land. And that guy moves cotton for him and moves beans for him and whatnot. 
So I'm not going to vote against the guy that the guy that's paying me uses. So I just recuse myself. And that's pretty simple, you know, and I think the other board members understand that. So, you know, we're not dealing with, in the local small town I live in, we're not dealing with abortion or guns. Right you know, restrictions or immigration. We're dealing with, can we park trucks here? You know, so it's not that bad for me. Right. But wrestling business, I've survived for 43 years, but I, I realize without a doubt, it's a great business. There's a lot of great guys in it, a lot of great guys you can work for and work with. But there's a lot of scumbags, too. Yeah. There's a lot of rotten-ass people. Yeah. And it's not just the wrestling business. We could be talking about Home Depot. We could be talking about the police business. <laughs> right. We could be talking right. about basketball. Talking about, you name every profession in the dictionary from A to Z. From architect to zoologist, there's going to be scumbags. And wrestling is no different. I'm used to it because that's all I've ever done. Right. So, yeah, believe me, there's a lot of Damn good guys, but there's a lot of vapes. Yeah, I was I, I was gonna say, you know, and I might be completely off base on this, but you know, with politics, and this is as far as I'll take politics. My my stance has always been the topics are real; they draw a line, they're divisive sometimes. You know, like you said, with certain topics like abortion and and you know immigration and stuff like that, they're real topics. But when you get down to the players that that do the politics. The, the presidents, the vice presidents, the mayors, all of those people, are the governors, they're working. They're trying to keep their spot. They tow that line. And in real life, you know, they're talking about each other on the news and they're talking, my, can, my, my opponent is doing this and that. But they're going out to dinner with each other. You know what I mean? Like, I could be wrong about that, but to me, po the political game is just one big work. I mean, it could be. I, see, that, that I don't know. Yeah. I, it, I I don't know, and like I said, without getting into it, right? I, I know in our town, I'm the only Republican on the on the uh, board, and and this is not in a bad way. I'm just saying, for example, I'm the only white guy on the board, right? But I get along great with all them. We have no problem because I'm the only white guy, and we have no problem because I'm the only Republican. We get along great because again, it ain't like we're like I said doing abortion and immigration and gun right. control and whatnot. We're dealing with small town, Mississippi Delta issues. And it really don't matter who's white or who's black, who's Democrat, who's Republican. You know, and I don't care. And if somebody comes in, like, we're the ones that hire uh, the police officer, or the new fireman that comes in, or the new, the new paramedic that comes in. Mm -hmm. We vote on if they get their job or not. We just hired three police officers last night as a matter of fact in the board meeting nice. but you know what every one of them was black and i don't care i didn't look at them like well they're, they're, why is there a white one no i looked at it like these guys seem like good guys they showed us good qualifications and yes i voted yes for all three of them i had no issue with none of them right. now if one of them would have had a spotty record or a bad attitude or or, or whatever uh, well, again whether he was white or black, I may have voted him no for that reason. Just like in life, if I wanted somebody to come to my house and fix my roof, I'm not going to say, I want a white guy. 
No. <laughs> right. I'm right. going to say, I want the most qualified guy. Exactly. And, and, and if it's fixed in my room, more than likely it would be a Pedro or a Jose. <laughs> 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 oh me well so, well uh i guess we're gonna wrap it up here but uh you know if you had any advice for someone nowadays wanting to get into the wrestling business if there was one thing that you could tell them above all hey listen to this what would you tell them three words very simple three words don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Which seems to be the common that, denominator I mean, with most people when every, we ask them that. Everyone we've talked to you that know, we've asked that has said that what, for the most part. What did Mr. Uncle Danny, sir, tell you when you were 16 years old? Yeah, when I was 16, I had told uh, Danny. Danny was running OVW at the time. We went up to see him, and I said, uh, uh, Josh looked at him and said, uh, Uncle Danny, Richard's going to be here when he come, when he turns 18. And Danny looked at me, and he's like, he looked at Josh. He's like, Josh, I will send Richard right back home because I don't want him in this business. <laughs> right. So, so uh, Dad, it ain't the same business. Trust me when I tell you. Yeah. You know, I mean, years ago, I could help you get booked in Kansas City, Alabama, Louisiana, here, there, wherever. Where, where would I get your book now? Up in Millington, up in Ripley, up in. Dyersburg, yeah, it's great. Good little show. You ain't going to make a living. Right, right. You know, living in the business my whole career, my whole life. I still am. I'm the head groundskeeper for the town of Walls right now. I'm an alderman for the town of Walls. I'm the head groundskeeper for Lakeview Trailer Court in Walls because I like it. And it's extra money. It's something to do. That's not my living. My living is all involves that. Uh, that ring, that squared circle, which I never understood that phrase. I've been in the business 43 years, and to this day, I don't see any circle. What <laughs> the hell is square? I don't get it. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. Go over and check out his shirts, Pro Wrestling Tees, Downtown Bruno. Pick up a shirt over there. It's really awesome little store. Um, can't go wrong with one of those shirts either that he's got over there, like the I'm a, I'm a Downtown Bruno guy. Uh, but I'm telling you, Josh, this has been... You're a downtown Bruno I guy. Am, I am. I'm a downtown Bruno guy. And hopefully after this podcast, we've got more downtown Bruno guys. But, uh, Mr. Bruno, I just want to say thank you for being a part of this show. Thank you for being willing to do it. Like I said, you seemed uh, very happy to do it and very nice. And uh, there was a few times I texted you and you could have just said, hey, leave me alone. But you were really nice about it. And you were just hey, I'm ready to come on. So we appreciate you being on. Brother, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Look, y'all, we can't end anything that involves downtown Bruno without me saying this to the listeners. you got, I mean, come on. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah, please. It's like Mama says, it be that way sometimes. Well, Josh, I don't know of a better way to end it than that right there. Man, I have had so much fun this week, dude. Oh, my God. Well, once again, go check out his store, Downtown Bruno on Pro Wrestling Tees. Josh, if they want to follow us on social media, 
or give us a call or send us an email? How do they do that? Well, on Twitter, we are at P3 Radio, the number one on Facebook. Put in that search bar, Pop Poncho, P-O-N-C-H-O. You will see our photo. And if you want to get with us the old school way, our phone number is 731-300-6675. Well, that's going to do it for us. For Josh Brawley, this is Rich Mulliken saying thanks for listening and a big special thanks to downtown Bruno. We'll see you again next week. But for us, good night. <laughs>